Well, on this very special Sunday, we have someone very, very special in our midst who's going to be bringing the message to all of us today. I'm going to let her introduce the series that we are currently in, the message series we're currently in here at Thrive. But let me take a moment just to introduce her to all of you. In fact, she doesn't need much of an introduction. She needs no introduction here at Thrive Church. Uh, She's one of the biggest reasons why I am as lucky as I am. She is one of the biggest reasons why my kids are as blessed as they are. Uh, She's also one of the biggest reasons why we even have Thrive Church in the first place. And every time she graces the stage and brings her powerful message, wonderful things tend to happen. And so I'm so thankful that she's here to bring the message. I'm a better person because I have her in my life. I'm a better follower of Jesus because of her as well. And I'm so excited to bring up my best friend, my amazing wife, a phenomenal mom, an incredible leader and pastor. Would you please welcome, here to bring episode four of our series, Find Your Life Again. Please welcome Pastor Charlene. Praise God, thank you. Well, hello Thrive Church. What a joy it is for me to celebrate Mother's Day with all of you. And it is so wonderful to see so many of you in person and to see your beautiful faces. And I just want to extend a big and warm welcome to everyone who is joining us online. And I know Pastor Davies already said this, and, um, but I want to say this personally to all the moms and all the grandmas and all the great grandmas in our midst. I just want to wish you a very happy Mother's Day. We are so thankful for you. We thank you for all the sacrifices that you make every single day, and we thank you for the influence that you have on everyone who is under your care. And the fact is, life would not be the same without each and every single one of you, and we love you so much. And here's the thing, I also know that Mother's Day is also not an easy day for many of us. You know, for some of us, maybe we're concerned about the health of someone that we love. Or maybe for you, you know, you are, um, your, your mom is really far away and you wish that you could be with your mom right now and you really miss her. Or maybe for you, you know, you are grieving the loss of someone that you love that you have recently lost. Maybe you are a mom and you wish um, and, you know, you're missing, you're grieving the loss of your child. Or maybe you are a child and you're grieving the loss of your mom. Whatever your circumstances might be, I'm here to tell you that there is a God in heaven who loves you, who has a plan and a purpose and a destiny for your life. And my prayer for you today is that you would experience his grace, his mercy, and his love in a way that you've never encountered before. You know, I know that today we're here to celebrate the moms, but I'm not on stage very often. And so if you would just give me a little bit of time, I want to recognize someone very, very, very special in our midst. And he's really special to me because he is my best friend and he is the love of my life. And the reason I want to recognize him is because he has done such a tremendous job over the last two years of the pandemic leading our church. And we are so incredibly blessed to have the most amazing pastor, the passion, his faith, his compassion, his wisdom, and we are just so incredibly thankful for Pastor JB. And so if you are on site with me today, I'm going to ask you to join me in giving him the biggest round of applause. Praise God. We love him so much. And if you are online, then what I'm going to ask you to do is to type into the chat room, we love Pastor JV. We love Pastor JV. You see, over the last few weeks, three weeks, we've been going through a new series here at Thrive called Find Your Life Again. And the reason we're going through the series is because during the two years of the pandemic, maybe you feel like you've lost some things. You know, maybe for you, you feel like you've lost that sense of motivation and direction in your work, or maybe it's in your life. Or maybe you feel like, you know, you've lost that joy and that peace that you once had. And maybe it's because something unexpected happened during the two years. Or maybe you feel like you've lost your faith. You know, you're sitting in here, you're listening, you're sitting in church, and you're like, what am I doing? I cannot feel God. If that's you today, then this message series is for you. Because now that the pandemic is over and life restrictions are being, you know, lifted and life is kind of going back to somewhat of a new normal, we find ourselves trying to find and recover those pieces that we have lost and try to put it back. And that's what this series is about. It's about how do we put our 
life back together? How do we find life again? And in the series, in the very first week, Pastor JB shared with us that finding your life again is not about luck. It's not about hard work, or it's not about thinking differently, but it's actually about experiencing Jesus. And you see, the thing is, here at Thrive Church, what we're doing is we are going through the book of John, one of the most beloved gospels in the Bible. And we're going through the book of John and looking at how do we experience Jesus so that we can find our life again. And we're not just doing that on a Sunday. Every Sunday, there's going to be a sermon, but we're actually doing that on a daily basis. And you see how it works is that Pastor JB, every single day, he's an amazing pastor, every single day, he will send out an email that highlights all the things that we can learn from a passage in the book of John and how we can apply it to our lives. And so if you want to join us in studying the book of John, then what I'm going to ask you to do is you can go to mythrive.info and click on subscribe to Pastor JB's game time sharing. And that's how you can actually receive that email in your mailbox every single day. I feel so incredibly blessed that we can go through the book of John together as a church. Amen? Amen. And so today, today we're going to be looking at a passage from the book of John. But before I share this passage with you, I want to share a story with you. Is that okay? All right, I'm going to share a story with you. You see, Pastor Jamie and I, we've been married for about almost 20 years. And we really do love each other a lot. I love him. He loves me. That's a fact. But Here's the thing, with every married couple, there's always going to be something that taps on the wrong nerve for the other person. And for Pastor JB, one of his pet peeves about me, you guys want to know what it is? It's how I let my car gas tank go too low, in his opinion, okay? Now, here's the thing. I personally think that Pastor JB's threshold of when I need to go and fill up my gas tank is just to be honest, too high. He thinks that I should fill up my gas tank every time that it hits the halfway mark. Honestly, I mean, how many of you fill up your gas tank when you hit the halfway mark? I don't see any show of hands. Oh, Bradley, my son. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I've, I've done some serious math, okay? I've done some serious calculation. I'm not just kind of randomly not listening to his advice. The fact is, with half a tank of gas, my car can actually run about 250 kilometers. Considering the fact that I don't drive highways that often, that oftentimes I'm just driving you know, to the grocery store or driving my kids to school, driving my kids to classes, 250 kilometers can take me quite a few days to go through. And so to me, I think it's just really high. And so you're probably wondering, you know, what's Pastor Char's threshold? My threshold is about the quarter tank. I think it's quite reasonable. So when I hit the quarter tank, then that's when I think, okay, I should probably find a gas station somewhere and fill up my gas. But lately, I just find, you know, with the prices, and this hasn't just not lately, like, I mean, this, these, like, past several months and years, like, it's just been so high. And so sometimes I'll look at the, I'll look at the price and I'll be like, oh, you know what, maybe I can wait till tomorrow. And about a year and a half ago, it was a busy week, and, uh, you know, with moms, I have different priorities that I'm juggling. And there was one day where I think maybe I may have let, left it a little bit too low. And so what happened was I was driving my son uh, uh, from Vancouver to Richmond, and we we're trying to get him to his piano class, and that's when I see the gas signal light on, which tells me that my gas is nearing empty. And so I'm like, okay, we're almost late, so what should we do? And so I thought to myself, you know what, I'm just going to drive him to his class, and then right after class, we're going to go and get gas together. So that was exactly what we did. We drove to class, finally we got there, and uh, right after he finished class, I turned to my son and I said, we need to go get gas. And you can pray that we actually get there, okay? <laughs> And so that's what we did. So I'm on Gilbert. I still vividly remember I'm on Gilbert. I'm trying to turn onto Steveston Highway. And, uh, you know, right after I turn, I'm like, I need to accelerate. So I'm stepping on the gas pedal because I feel like I need to get there sooner than later. So I'm stepping on the gas pedal. And then all of a sudden, I'm stepping on the gas pedal. The car goes, chum, chum. And I was like, that doesn't sound right. And so I was like, something is wrong with my car. And so as soon as that happened, you know, I turned um, to one of the side streets. And right when I was about to turn, I'm in the middle of that side street. I'm not even able to get to the sidewalk. My car completely stops. And Bradley leans over. He looks at the gas meter. And he goes, Mommy, I think you've run out of gas. <laughs> And I was like, oh, no. And at that moment, honestly, the first voice in my head 
It was not, what am I going to do? It was Pastor JB. <laughs> Pastor JB saying, you need to fill up your gas tank at the halfway mark. You need to fill up your gas at the halfway mark. And I was like, oh, how did he know that this would happen? Seriously, if he's not a pastor, he should be a prophet. So at that point, I'm like, okay, we need a plan. So I turned to Bradley, and I'm like, we need a plan. And so, you know, I thought about, I really did consider. I considered maybe I'll call Pastor JB and see, you know, if he would mind, like, bringing me some gas. But then at that point, I just felt like, I'm way too embarrassed to call Pastor JB right now. And so do you guys know who I called? I called our Thrive Admin Assistant, Amy. <laughs> and let me tell you why. Because if you have called Thrive Church before, you know that we have the sweetest heavenly voice at Thrive Church. Because every time you call Amy, she'll be like, hello, Thrive Church! And that, at that moment, I felt like that was the reassuring voice of an angel that I needed to hear someone that I knew would not judge me. And so I called Amy, and I said, Amy, I really need your help. And praise God, Amy was so kind. Amy was so loving, and she helped me out. But do you know what the other reason was for me calling Amy and not Pastor JB? It's because two years before I ran out of gas, Pastor JB ran out of gas on the bridge, couldn't reach me, so he called Amy. And so I knew that Amy knew exactly what she needed to, get, to do in order to get out of that rut for us. Oh my goodness, praise God for our multi-talented Amy, our Thrive Admin Assistant. And man, was that a stressful situation. And why am I sharing this story with you today? See, I'm sharing this story with you today because the the title of today's message is what to do when you're empty. I'm not just talking about an empty tank. I am talking about those places where you feel empty. Maybe it's that motivation that you're lacking right now in order to go through your work. You know, maybe you're feeling completely tired and drained because of a relationship. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your husband or, you know, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, and you feel like you're just completely drained emotionally. You've got nothing more to give. Or maybe you are a parent in this place and you feel physically exhausted and that your patient's tank is just going very, very low. If that's you today, then I believe that this message is for you. You see, we're going to look at a passage together from the book of John, and it's from John chapter 2, and I want us to read it together. It's John chapter 2, verse 1 to 11. So let's read. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. And nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Now Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Now, see, we need to pack, backtrack a little bit, and let's understand the context of when the story took place. You see, this would have been in first century AD, and in first century AD, weddings were a massive, massive event. In fact, Cana was such a small village that probably every single person in that village would be invited. I can imagine that stores were probably closed, work was, you know, probably on vacation, and kids didn't have to go to school because everybody was invited and getting excited to go to this massive event called the wedding party. And here's the thing, the wedding wasn't just meant to be a celebration. It was actually meant to be a, a way for the, wedding, for the groom to prove that he's able to provide for his bride. And what do I mean by that? You see, in first century AD, the Jewish tradition was this. When a bride and a groom, they want to get married, they will first get engaged. 
And so when they first get engaged, what happens in the next year is that, you know, the, the, the bride would actually go back to her own house and the groom would spend a whole year preparing for the arrival of the bride and preparing for everything that he needs in order to provide for her. And so this would usually involve maybe buying a house or maybe not buying a house, but maybe building a house on, you know, next to his father's, like, father's house. And he would do everything that it takes to basically prepare for the arrival of his bride. And at the end of that one year, what happens is, you know, the groom will go to the, his fiance's house and there he would have an entourage of his groomsmen. They would all go over and then they would knock at the door of the bride and announce that everything is ready. And as part of that, the groom would usually delegate to maybe his best man or his groomsmen to plan this big, big party. And this was just all a way to welcome the bride and to show that he is ready. And so here's a problem. You see, when the wine runs out at a wedding, this was not just kind of like, oh yeah, liquor ran out and some party, let's just go home. This was actually really embarrassing and very humiliating for the groom because what it communicated was that he's not prepared and that he doesn't have all the resources that he needs in order to provide his, for his bride. And that signals that perhaps he's not going to be a good husband. And so this is a really big red flag in the Jewish tradition. And in a very unexpected way, Jesus comes to the rescue by performing his very first miracle, which was to turn the water into wine. But you see, I think this message is a lot more just about turning water into some alcohol. For with every miracle that Jesus performs, there's always, always going to be a lesson. And in this case, what are some lessons that we learn? Number one, I believe that it's when your supply is lacking, Jesus can come and replenish your supply. That's the first lesson I think we learn. The second lesson we learn is that when you are facing a problem, Jesus will give you everything that you need. And the third lesson I believe we can learn from this is that when you are running on empty, Jesus will fill you up again. And so maybe you find yourself lacking in motivation. Maybe you find yourself lacking in faith or lacking in a direction, in energy, in purpose, in joy, a solution. Then I really believe that this message is for you. And if you're feeling empty today, then I believe that this passage has three things, tells us three things that we need to do. Are you guys ready? Yeah. All right. Number one, number one, invite Jesus into every empty situation. See, if you want to experience Jesus in helping you go from not enough to having more than enough, then you need to begin with inviting Jesus into that place where you are empty. Because look at John 2. John 2, 2, it says, and Jesus and disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Now, who were the ones who experienced the miracle? It was the people who invited Jesus and those closest to him, right? And so what's the lesson that we learn here? The lesson that we learn here is that if you want Jesus' involvement, then you need to give him an invitation because he's not going to show up without your invitation. No, in, no invitation, there would be no involvement. If there's no involvement, there would be no Jesus. If there's no Jesus, there would be no miracle. And so you need to give Jesus an invitation if you want him to solve the problems in your life. And keep this in mind. You see, this really was not a life or death situation, in my opinion. But why would Jesus get involved in something as small as running out of wine? And I believe that the fact that Jesus turned water into wine shows his willingness to get involved in your life and even the smallest things in your life, as long as you are willing to involve him. And as long as you invite him, he will make his presence Felt. If you invite Jesus into your workplace, he will make his presence felt. If you invite Jesus into that broken relationship that you're trying to repair right now, I believe that Jesus will make his presence felt. If you are trying to invite Jesus into your marriage or your home, I believe that Jesus will make his presence felt. Can I share with you guys a time when I invited Jesus into um, a place in my life where I just didn't know what to do? You see, what happened is... Um, Growing up, I've always had a lot of irrational fears. Um, one of my fears was robbers. I don't know, for some reason, I just really did not like the idea of robbers breaking into my home. And so every single night, even 
like through high school, I would be the one in our house who would go and make sure that all the doors and all the windows are closed. And I would even peek out the window and just check that there are no random cars or random people around our house. And I had this irrational fear of robbers. You know, another irrational fear that I had is actually the dark. Like, I didn't like the dark. I just, um, you know, for the longest time, I would sleep with my lights on because I was afraid of the dark. And where it really became a big issue for me was when I started, there was a period of time in my life when I was so afraid with these irrational fears that I was actually not able to pray with my eyes closed. It was that bad. Like, I, every time I pray, my eyes would be wide open, no matter where I am. It's like my eyes have to be wide open because that's how scared I was to close my eyes. And, um, and this really became, I think, to, in many ways, a handicap, like a handicap in my life, a handicap in the way that I related to Jesus. And I didn't like it. And so I started praying about it. And I started saying, you know, God, I need you to help me to deliver me from this fear. And there was one night, I remember um, when I was sleeping, and I had a nightmare. I had a nightmare, and, you know, I grew up in Taiwan for the first eight years of my life. And so in Taiwan, there are all these different Buddhist temples. And in my nightmare, there was, I, was, I was in this Buddhist temple where um, there are all these golden statues of Buddha around me. And there was a row of monks who were just chanting. And for some reason, um, I was really scared. And so I woke up from my nightmare. And I actually woke up Pastor JB. I was like, JB, could you please pray for me? I know it's really late, but I, I really need help. And so I said, JB, please pray for me. And JB kindly prayed for me. And after he prayed for me, you know, we both tried to go back to sleep, and I fell asleep again. But within about 10 minutes, because I had a clock right next to me, within about 10 minutes, I had the exact same nightmare again. And this time, in the same scene, I'm in the same place, surrounded by the statues, and I wake up, and I'm like, I am so scared right now. And so I look over at JB, who is sound asleep, and I didn't want to wake him up anymore. It was 3 in the morning. He's got work the next day. And so I just put, like, my covers, like, my blanket over my head, and I just started praying. And I was so scared. I didn't even know what to pray. So I just started praying. I said, God, please deliver me from this fear. Just help me. And I must have repeated that prayer, like, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 times, maybe the same line over and over again, because I just didn't know what to do. And do you know what happened? What happened was I fell back asleep, and this time I had another dream. And in my dream, there was a little me in my dream. I was probably about four years old, I'm guessing, and I'm wearing my nightgown, and holding my hand was a man dressed in white, and I knew that it was Jesus. So Jesus took my hand, and we're walking on a bed of white clouds, and Jesus leads me to this big wooden desk, like a very old, run-down wooden desk. But behind that desk was an angel. And so the angel opened his drawer, and then he pulled out, I think it was a lollipop and maybe an ice cream. And he looked at me and said, which one would you like? And I took, I think, the lollipop. Jesus held my hand. We walked the other way, and that was the end of my dream. And I slept soundly through the rest of that night. But here's the amazing thing. The next morning, I woke up. I vividly remember every single detail of that dream. And do you know what happened? What happened was that irrational fears that I used to have completely left me. Jesus completely delivered me from my fear when I asked him to do so. And after inviting Jesus to do that, I finally experienced what the Bible says. You know when it says um, perfect love drives out fear? I experienced that firsthand in my own life when Jesus delivered me from my fear. And here's my question for you today. What is an area of your life where you need to invite Jesus to make his presence? Are you lacking joy in your marriage? Is it a problem where you are seeking wisdom for a decision? You know, I encourage you to invite Jesus into that situation because he will make his presence felt. In fact, his presence is going to overcome your fear and his presence, his peace is going to overcome all of your worries. And if you believe that, say amen. Amen. And that takes us to the second point. The second thing that we need to do is this. Don't try to control Jesus. Instead, recognize Jesus' authority over you and your situation. You see, if you want to experience Jesus in your life, then you need to stop controlling Jesus and let Jesus take control. John chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, I want us to read this together. It says, When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. 
Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. You see, Mary, Jesus' mother, finds out that the wine is gone, and she goes up to Jesus, and she says, there is no more wine. Now, I really don't think that Mary went up kind of like, Jesus, FYI, there's no more wine, so you have nothing more to drink. I also don't think Mary was kind of like, Jesus, FYI, there's no more wine, I wish I had more. But I really think that Jesus, that Mary went up to Jesus and said, there's no more wine. That what she's really saying is, Jesus, this is a red flag big situation. I know you can do something about it. So can you do something about it? I believe that that's the tone that Mary was speaking with. Now, I find Jesus' response pretty interesting because Jesus, then he goes, dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. I'm like, what an interesting response. And let's just make this really clear, right? Today is Mother's Day, and I don't want you to take this home. Please don't go home and say, I have just gotten a new life verse. It's John 2, 4. And if your mother comes up to you or a spouse comes up to you and says, can you go wash the dishes? Could you go clean up your room? Do not say, dear woman, do you not know my life verse? Why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. Please don't do that, okay? Or if your boss comes up to you and she's a woman, please do not go up to her when she asks you to do something and say, dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. That's not the point of today's sermon. Do not make that your life verse unless you really understand what it really, really means. And so what is up with Jesus' response to Mary? You see, Jesus is not calling his mom woman in a derogatory kind of way. See, Jesus, when he, in the original language, woman is actually a very honoring and very respectful term. In fact, if we had to compare it to a modern day, it's the equivalent of ma'am, right? And so when Jesus said, dear woman, why do you involve me? He's actually not doing it in a derogatory kind of way. He's actually honoring and still respecting his mother. But here is what I believe is happening. You see, I believe that there is a transition that is now happening between Mary and Jesus. See, up to this point, Jesus was under Mary's care, and Jesus was under Mary's authority. For those of you who are moms, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When they're young, you tell them what needs to happen, and you tell them what to do because you know better. But here's the thing. You know, Jesus... By this point, he hadn't started his public ministry. He hadn't preached in any sermons. He hadn't done any miracles. And so by this point, Jesus is still just an unknown young man living in Mary's house. But I believe what is happening is that Jesus is now transitioning in his role. Jesus knows that he is no longer just under the authority of his mom, but that he's actually transitioning to be under the authority of his heavenly father. And I also don't think that Jesus is the only one who's going through this transition. I believe that, she, that Mary is also going through this transition. You see, Mary probably was so used to Jesus do this, Jesus do that, you know, clean your room, take out the garbage, whatever it was. But the thing is, I believe that Mary was going through a transition because she now knows that she had to transition from being in control of Jesus to now letting Jesus be in control. And so I think the reason why it's not dear mom, why do you involve me? Dear woman, it's because it marks a transition in Jesus and Mary's relationship. And here's my question for you. Are you trying to control Jesus? You know, how do you know if you're trying to control Jesus? Can I give you three clues that you might be trying to control Jesus? Clue number one is when you worry a lot. You are worrying about your finances. You're worrying about your future. You're worrying about your job. You're worrying about your marriage. You're worrying about your kids. The fact is you are worrying so much. And when you don't worry, you worry about why you are not worrying. If that is you, then that is a signal that you are trying to control Jesus. That's clue number one. Clue number two. See, clue number two is when you ask God for help without asking for God's will. And what do I mean by that? You see, you often ask God to bless you, but you're actually not that interested in hearing what God has to say. Instead of seeing God, Jesus as your, as your master, you kind of see him as a tool that helps you get to where you want to go. And that is actually treating Jesus like a vending machine. And that is when you are trying to control Jesus. That's a big clue. Clue number three, last clue. You insist on doing things your way regardless of what God says. And what do I mean by that? 
You know, say for example, you know that you're supposed to, you know, quit a, a bad habit that is affecting you. Or maybe you know that you're supposed to break off an unhealthy relationship. Or maybe you know that you're supposed to confess that sin or that you're supposed to forgive someone who has wronged you or that maybe you should tithe, but you just insist on doing things your way. And you insist on being in control, even if it means ignoring what God wants you to do. And if that's the case, that's a third clue that maybe you're trying to control Jesus. And if any of these clues is evident in your life, then chances are you are trying to control Jesus. And so when you try to control Jesus, what happens is that it's, it's just not going to work, right? It's, you're going to end up with a lot more anxiety. You're going to end up with a lot more frustration. You're going to be upset, and you're just going to feel like your life is empty. Could it be that the reason why your life is empty right now, the reason why you don't feel that joy and that peace is because you are trying to put Jesus in a box and trying to control him? And if so, then like Mary, it's time to transition, it's time to transition from trying to control Jesus to letting Jesus take control of you. You see, in John 2, 5, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Mary's basically saying, all right, I'm out of the controller's seat, and Jesus is the boss now. So instead of trying to control Jesus, Mary recognized that Jesus had authority over the situation. And she needed to transition from trying to control Jesus to letting Jesus take control. And that was when the miracle happened. And that was when the wine or the water turned into wine. I'm going to share with you a story from my own life. You know, Pastor JB and I, when we first got married, we were young. And I think we're still very young. And, um, and what happened was, uh, you know, we were young. And so we just thought, hey, Right now, you know, we're not tied down to anything. We don't have any kids, so why don't we go abroad? Why don't we just travel and, like, go somewhere? And both of us have always wanted to go to Asia. You know, my parents live in Asia, and I wanted to spend more time with them. JB has been to Asia, but he always wanted to spend some more time in Asia. And so we decided that we would uproot from Vancouver right after we got married, and that we would move to Taiwan. And um, we were originally thinking that we would just go for six months, but it turned out to be a bit over three, three years, close to four years. And at the three-year mark, I vividly remember that both of us were independently praying, and both of us independently sensed God saying that now is the time to go back to Vancouver. And um, I did not like that. I did not like the idea of coming back to Vancouver. I do now, but I didn't back then. You see, back then, I loved what I had in Taiwan. You know, we're always so used to the things that we have, and we're, we're comfortable in our comfort zone. And I felt like I wanted that. I wanted that to continue. And so I was perfectly happy living in Taiwan. You know, I loved my, having my family there. I loved, ha like, the church that we were part of. I loved, you know, the work that we were doing. And it was just very different from anything that we'd ever experience. And so I wanted to stay in Taiwan, but I also knew that it was a reality that God was bringing, back, bringing us back to Vancouver. And so that was when I started to pray. And I was like, okay, God, I don't know what to do. I'm trying to control the situation. When I go back to Vancouver, Lord, I want to do something. Because back then, I was very, very career-driven. It's like, I want to keep climbing that corporate ladder. And so, so I prayed about it, and I sensed God say, you know, maybe the next step would be going to grad school. And so, so I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to apply to grad school. And so I, so, you know, I, um, so I, I basically took my exam, and I started researching on different grad schools. And it turns out that, you know, in Vancouver, if we had to live in Vancouver, um, the only school I wanted to apply to was UBC. But then there were other schools in the U.S., you know, in eastern Canada, where I was very interested. And so I would go up to Pastor JB, and I said, you know, JB, um, what do you think if I apply to a school in California or in Boston or in New York or in Toronto? And JB would look at me and he'd be like, I'm not cool with that. And he just, you know, he, number one, he didn't want to live anywhere else other than Vancouver. And, uh, and two, I think he was just not thrilled about the idea of doing long distance. And I wasn't that thrilled either, but I think for me, because I was trying to control the outcome of my future, I really wanted to um, control, like, what would happen. It's like, what if I only apply to UBC and I don't get in? Then what, then what am I going to do, right? And so... Um, 
So, he, so then he would just say, you know, why don't you just go and pray about it some more? And thank God, I mean, this is the reason why you need Jesus in your life, because when I prayed, I didn't sense any peace either. And so when the application deadline came around, I only applied to one school. I applied to UBC. And at the end of that um, application, all the other application deadlines have passed, and I just felt so much anxiety in my heart. I was so afraid that I would not get in. I was so afraid that for some reason I wouldn't get in, and that maybe, you know, I heard wrong, and maybe God has a totally different plan, and maybe he's gonna like land me in a job that I really don't enjoy, that's not gonna like help me advance at all in my career, like what if? And there were just so many what if scenarios. And I held in so much stress and so much tension in my heart trying to control what was going to happen with that application. And so for the next two months, I didn't sleep well. You know, I had really bad headaches. I had stomach aches from just a lot of anxiety and being nervous. And until there was one day, you know, I was, um, we were in a prayer meeting, in a regular weekly prayer meeting. And I'm lifting my hands in worship at that moment. And um, all of a sudden, I just sensed the Holy Spirit in my heart speaking to me and saying, Shar, why are you so worried? Why do you not trust that I already have it all figured out? And I can't explain why, but when the Holy Spirit's presence filled my heart at that moment, I could just feel like, you know, all, like I was tearing and all that weight that I was carrying was just starting to crumble. And it was just starting to be washed away. And, um, and you know, I lifted my hand and I said, Lord, I know, but I am scared. And I don't know what the future is going to be like, but you know what? I'm going to choose to surrender the results into your hands. And so that was what I did that night. And um, for the first time that night, you know, I slept well. I actually had a sound night of sleep. And a few days later, I received an email from UBC. And it said that, congratulations, you've been admitted to our business program. And I was so, so, so excited. And here's the thing, you know, God totally took it beyond what I could have possibly asked for. Because UBC ended up giving me a scholarship, which I totally would have not given to myself. But it was further evidence of just God's grace, his mercy, his goodness, and his provision when I let him take control. And I learned from that experience that it is so much better to let Jesus be in control than me trying to control everything and control my future. And that's my question for you today. You know, in what area of your life do you need to stop telling Jesus what to do and start letting Jesus do what he wants to do through you? Because if you want, to, if you want Jesus to fill that emptiness in your life, you need to stop controlling Jesus and recognize that he is the only one who has authority in the situation you're in. All that you need to do is to trust and obey and do what he says. And that takes us to the third point. The third point is trust that God's plan is always, always the best. Let's read John chapter 2, verse 6 and 7 together. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. You see, what's going on here? Mary stops trying to control Jesus. Mary has now given the authority to Jesus to control the situation. And Jesus is sitting there, he's waiting, and when he hears the Father say, it's time, Jesus gets up, he turns over to the servants, and he goes, you see those hand sanitizers? Because it was for ceremonial washing, cleaning, right? You, back in John's day, they didn't have like the sanitizer with the pumps. What they did was they had these huge stone jars where they would actually use the water to wash their hands. So there's the hand sanitizers. And so he's like, you see that hand sanitizer over there? I want you to go and fill those jars with water. And notice that that's all that Jesus said. Jesus didn't say why. Jesus didn't say, you know, like what he's trying to do with it. All he said was just go and fill it up. And this is one thing that we can learn from this, from this verse. What we learn is that when you invite Jesus to take control of that situation in your life, Jesus actually won't always show you the full picture, but he will tell you the next step. And that's why I believe in Psalms, you know, when it says, your word is a lamp unto my feet, it's because Jesus is not going to show you the full picture of what it's going to look like, but Jesus will show you your next step. And if you insist on knowing everything before you take that next step, before you let Jesus take control, then there would be no faith miracle. There would be no adventure, and there would be no room for trusting God. 
And if I were the servants, I would be like, Jesus, what are you doing? I mean, they're running out of wine. You're telling me to put water in here? Like, seriously, I think we're wasting our time. But you see, what they did was they didn't say anything. The servants did exactly as what Jesus said. In John 2, verse 8 to 10, it says, Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine, and he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. You see, what can we learn from this? I believe that part of trusting Jesus is realizing that Jesus might not do things your way, that Jesus might not do things in your timing, but that Jesus, what he's going to do is far better than what you could possibly plan for yourself. And here's my question for you. What is one area in your life where you need to trust Jesus to work things out in his way and his time? You know, could it be your family, your marriage? Could it be your work? Whatever it is, I believe that Jesus cares and he's going to take it much greater in greater ways beyond what you could possibly imagine. I'll tell you another story from my own life. You know, from today, you've probably heard and gather the fact that I am a planner. I like to plan things and I don't like surprises. And so, you know, I remember when Pastor JB and... Um, and I first got married, we were both young, like I told you, because we are still young. And um, being the planner that I am, I planned exactly how our family was going to grow. So when we first got married, I had just graduated from university the year before, and I was not that interested in starting a family. At that time, I felt like, you know, I wanted to travel. There were things that I wanted to do. I wanted to study. I wanted to, you know, climb that corporate ladder. And I just wasn't like ready at that point to welcome children into our family. And so I really tried to control when this would happen. And we ended up waiting for about nine years before we had our first son, Bradley. And, um, and here's the thing, you know, when I still remember that day, Pastor JB and I had gone on a vacation in Hawaii and Man, vacations without kids are so different because, you know, you don't have to wake up in the morning, you don't get woken up in the middle of the night, you don't have to worry about breakfast, and it was just really relaxing. Don't get me wrong, vacations with kids are wonderful as well. And, uh, but here's the thing, so we had just gotten home from a vacation in Hawaii, and I walked into the house and I just felt like, you know what? I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready to have that child. And so I turned to Pastor JB and I was like, I think I'm ready. And he's like, oh my goodness, finally, after nine years. And, um, and we planned for it. And it happened very, very smoothly. The moment we decided, we started planning for it, Bradley was pretty much born within that year. And everything came just, you know, just as I had planned. And um, about two years later, fast forward two years, Bradley was about two. And uh, at that time, you know, Pastor Jamie and I started having conversations about having a second child. And we thought, you know, it would be nice if Bradley could have a sibling to play with. And it would be nice, you know, if um, we had another child in our home. And so once again, being the planner that I am, I went and decided to plan for this. But things totally didn't go as I had planned. In fact, I thought things would go very smoothly, just like the way we had Bradley, but it totally didn't turn out that way. It took us a much longer time to get pregnant. And finally, when I was pregnant, um, the week after I found out, I actually miscarried. And I was really heartbroken. I just didn't understand, you know, how, why God would allow this to happen. My heart was broken because I was sad that I wouldn't be able to hold this baby and that I wouldn't be able to see this baby until one day I go to heaven. And, uh, and I just felt disappointed at God. And because I was so fixated on my plans, I was so fixated on how things should work out, I just really did not understand why things could not happen according to my plans. But as, as I continued to pray and just seek God on this issue, I remember there were two verses that would come to my mind. You know, the first verse is from Psalm 46.10. It says, be still and know that I am God. And that's what I try to do. You know, in that moment of grief, I just prayed and I just sensed God say, you know what, I'm still in control. Be still and know that I am God. And the second verse that came to mind for me was Jeremiah 29, 11. It was, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. 
And so gradually, slowly, I just started to surrender my plans for God's plans. And here's the thing that happened. Over the next four years, and we actually didn't get pregnant. We ended up waiting for a long time with our third child. But in that four years, there were so many things I learned. I learned to trust God more. I learned to focus on the present. Rather than longing for that child, I really learned to cherish the time that I could spend with Bradley, just him, and just you know one child in our home. I learned to surrender my fears to him when my future was blurry and unknown. And I learned to give him control over when and how our family was going to grow. And more, most importantly, I learned to walk in God's grace. I learned to walk in the rhythm of God's grace, knowing that even when things don't turn out as I had planned, that his grace is more sufficient for me and that he, his plans are always going to be better and more perfect. July 2018, you know, Caleb, our second son, um, arrived and we were ecstatic. He was the perfect younger son to me and JB. He's the perfect younger brother to Bradley. And we could not have planned for a better son to come at a better time. And praise God for his perfect way and his perfect timing. You know, maybe today you're looking at your future and you are trying to figure things out because things have not gone according to your plans. Can I tell you some good news? The good news is that you don't have to have it all figured out. You don't need to have everything figured out. All you need to do is do your best with what is in front of you, what is in your hand, and just trust that God can take all the unknowns and all the things that are beyond your control and that he can take them and he can take them farther than you possibly can. And remember that with Jesus, there is grace because when you've done your best, all you need to do is put your hope in God, knowing that by his grace, he's going to lead you through every trial and every challenge that you could possibly go through in life. Can I tell you another reason why this is such an important lesson to learn? You see, the reason why this is an important lesson to learn is not just because we can live a great life, so that we can live you know, a life to the full, that so we can experience Jesus. The reason why it's such an important lesson to learn, especially on this Mother's Day, is because the people in your sphere of influence, namely your children. You see, our children, they're not going to come to know Jesus in their hearts if, if all that they see is a mom who is rigid, who is a perfectionist, and who plans everything and executes everything perfectly. What is going to draw them to Jesus is when they see a mom who recognizes that she has limits, that she's going to make plans, and that some of those plans are not going to come to, into fruition, and that some of those plans are going to fail. What they need to see is that you know, their mom knows that she's going to make mistakes. But in those times when she makes mistakes, she knows that she can lean on the grace and the mercy and the love and forgiveness of God. And that is the lesson that I'm learning every single day. Because as a mom to two little boys, I can tell you that I do not want Bradley and Caleb to see that I am perfect. I don't want them to think that I am perfect, that I have it all put together, and that I can make the best plans. Instead, I want them to see Jesus. I want them to see that one day when they make mistakes, when their plans fail, that there is a God who loves them tremendously, who's going to take care of them, and who's going to make everything beautiful in his time. That's the God that I want them to see. And see, in John 2.10, it says, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. You see, God loves to save the best for last, which is why here at Thrive Church, we often say the best is yet to come because God always saves the best for last. And God didn't make you to be someone who is always in control, doing everything in your way and in your time. He made you to be someone who invites Jesus into your situation, who lets Jesus take control, who trusts that Jesus is gonna work all things out in his way and in his time. And when you do, that's when your emptiness becomes full again. And I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to have a time to respond to God. And after we sing, I'm going to lead you in a round of prayer. And so let's do that.
You know, maybe today, as you're listening to the sermon, this is the first time that you hear that life doesn't all depend on you. Maybe today was the first time that you realize that there is a God in heaven who cares about you, who loves you, and who wants to have a relationship with you and also fill those places where you are empty. You see, God knew all along that we didn't have what it takes to be perfect. He knew all along that we would not have what it takes to live that perfect and full life. And that is the reason why God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you and for me so that our sins can be forgiven, so that we can have a way to God. And not only did God do that, Jesus, he died, but three days later, he rose again from the grave to show that he really is who he claims to be, which is the son of God. And the Bible says that if you believe what Jesus Christ has done for you, then you become a child of God and you have eternity with God. And that same power that resurrected Jesus Christ from the grave, that is the same power that turned the water into wine. And when you say, I believe in what Jesus Christ has done for me, that is the exact same power that you have as a child of God. Give God a big hand in this place. And if that's what you want for your life, and that's what you want, then I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes. If that's what you want and you've never received that love and forgiveness from Jesus Christ, then I'm gonna invite you to raise your hand and one of the ushers is gonna come around and hand you a piece of paper because we're gonna say this prayer together. And if you are online, then you can scan the QR code that is on your screen. And I'm gonna ask you to do that. And as long as like, so that not all of you, so that you're not saying this alone, I'm gonna ask all of us to actually pray this prayer together, okay? So let's pray together. If you wanna receive that love and that forgiveness from Jesus Christ, you wanna have that relationship with Jesus Christ, I invite you to say this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus thank you that because you love me, you died on the cross to pay for my sins and rose again to give me life. Today, I open up my heart and I ask you to forgive me of my sins and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I place my trust not in what I do, but in what you've done for me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give our God a big hand in this place. Congratulations. If you prayed that prayer, then the Bible says that you are now a child of God. You are a citizen of heaven and that you will live in eternity with God. And we want to congratulate you on that. If you haven't received a gift when you're on site, then I'm going to invite you to go to the Welcome Center and pick up that gift because we have a very special gift for you. And if you are online and you pray that prayer, then I'm going to ask you to scroll to the bottom of that page and fill out your information. We'll try to get that gift to you as soon as we can. Congratulations. Good morning, everyone. Happy Mother's Day. My name is Rachel and welcome to Thrive Church. We're so grateful you chose to spend part of your weekend with us. I'd like to take a moment and fill you in on a few things you need to know about here at Thrive. If this is your first time here, we would love to connect with you. Simply scan the QR code at the back of your seat or visit myfive.info and click YouTube Thrive to fill out the connect card. If you join us online, we'll mail you a stainless steel water bottle as soon as possible. If you're here with us today at Le Pomme Place, feel free to drop by the Welcome Center by the exit door after the service. You'll not only receive a free gift, you'll also have a chance to ask the questions that you may have. Once again, thanks so much for worshiping with us today. For all the parents here at Thrive, baby and child dedication is happening during the Sunday service next month on June 12th. Baby and Child Dedication is all about thanking God for the gifts that He's giving you as parents and declaring your intention to raise your child in a Christ-centered home. For more information and sign up, visit myfly.info. TDS 2, Growing in Your Relationship with God is hands down the most helpful course that I've taken here at Thrive. In this six-week online course starting on May 17th, you'll get to learn several keys to spiritual growth and how to be able to experience these keys at work in your life. To sign up, visit myfly.info. Once again, thanks so much for being here with us today. Our hope is that you leave today's service greatly encouraged. Don't forget to give your tithes and offering online at myfly.info. 
Have an amazing Sunday afternoon. We look forward to seeing you again next Sunday for the continuation of the Find Your Life Again message series. Bye.